Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. On Friday, Taylor Swift is releasing her seventh studio album, and this week on the site, you can read Kate Nibbs on Taylor Swift's Fall from Grace, and later in the week, Lindsay Zolad's thoughts on the new album. Plus, this week's Ringer Dish features a Taylor Swift syllabus covering everything you need to know before you tune in. You can read those pieces on TheRinger.com, and you can listen and subscribe to Ringer Dish on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. You're listening to Black on the Air. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Man, it's been a fun Black on the Air summer, you guys. We've had some fun guests. And, you know, I'm very excited about um, the guests that are coming up. We have some really, really cool uh, guests for you guys. Some stuff I think you're really going to enjoy. And, um, you know, with the election coming up and the debates, we're going to Try to figure out a fun way to cover that, too, which, man, I can't. This next one's going to be real interesting. It'll be real interesting to see what it dwindles down to, like who's going to be left standing coming up, you know. So a real fun interview today with um, Bashir and Diallo, comedy team, comedy writing team. They've done uh, things on their own, uh, Bashir Salahuddin and, and uh, Diallo Riddle. They started off writing on... Jimmy Fallon's uh, original late night show, and they've uh, their career has just been blossoming ever since. Uh, real fun pair, couple of brothers who met at Harvard. How about that? There you go. That's Merck for you guys, right? Love that. Love their story. They're a lot of fun, and their show. They have two shows on the air, which is amazing. Sherman Showcase, uh, which is on uh, that one's on IFC, and then Southside, which is on Comedy Central. Really funny. If you guys haven't caught it, really, really. Uh, you should really tune in. I think you'll like them both. Uh, so here's the thing. Here's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, and I might be a little scattered, so I apologize ahead of time. But here's what I'm tired of right now. I am tired of other people dictating what I am allowed to like. I'm just, I'm a little bit tired of it. And it's just happening too much. And there's there's like a meta example of it this week that I'll get to. But it's been going on for a while. Uh, it kind of, I was having dinner with a friend of mine and I was kind of laughing at it. She had this dilemma because uh, you guys heard about this whole Equinox Soul Cycle thing that people at Equinox and Soul Cycle found out that one of the investors is, is a surprise, a billionaire who was holding dinner for Trump. Oh no, what am I going to do? I can't go to this $35 an hour, you know, to my $35 an hour class now. How dare they do that to me? It's such a non-problem as far as I'm concerned. But she was in such a fix over what to do, which is so ridiculous. But I was struck by the fact that somebody, some force out there was preventing her from doing this thing that she loved to do. Like she felt guilty about it. She couldn't do it. And she had all these reasons why. You know, and I'm just laughing at the whole thing. I'm like, if you like SoulCycle, just fucking go to SoulCycle. You don't think, wait, it's a surprise to you that a billionaire might support a Republican president, or in this case, Trump or whatever, would give money for it? Why is that a shock? You're better off not knowing that type of thing? I mean, if you went down the list of companies in America that you would have to give up because they give money to Republicans, there's hardly anything left. Maybe like one corner of 7-Eleven or something like that you can buy things out of. But that's about it, you know? So... I find that a little bit disingenuous, but I just realize how much of that is going on right now. Like we're being divided, <laughs> like we're we're being accused of being disloyal, you know, for uh, 
for just just wanting to have something simple, you know. And this started, by the way, this didn't just start right now. I remember when um, I think we wanted to use France's airspace, and I think it was to bomb Libya or something like that. I don't remember. And France wouldn't let us do it. They're like, nah, you know. And then, of course, the so-called patriotic right said, well, we were not going to have French fries. Like, that's a great response to that, you know. But somehow, if you had French fries, you were being disloyal to America. Like, you had to call them American fries if you were going to have it, you know. Like, you had to disavow any allegiance to anything French, which was ridiculous, you know. But people were, they were serious about that, you know. That was like a show of your patriotism or something, which is ridiculous. So, the latest thing, well, there's a couple other things, too. Now, this happened a little while ago with on the other side with Chick-fil-A. I can't remember the specific circumstance, but I think the owners of it were anti-gay or anti-gay marriage or something like that, or they supported something. I don't I don't remember the specifics. You guys can look it up. But it, I, I believe it was an anti-gay thing, I believe. So now you can't eat a chicken sandwich. You are forbidden to have a chicken sandwich because of this. And if you have this chicken sandwich, somehow you agree with them, which is ridiculous, you know, but I get it. I get it. People don't want to support that person because they feel that they support that. So now finally, and it's taken years, finally Popeye's comes up with a chicken sandwich that I, I, it's hilarious to see people online flocking to Popeye's because they've missed this chicken sandwich that they, they've wanted this chicken sandwich so bad. But because of this issue, they can't have it. And they feel like somehow they feel guilty if they're going to have a chicken sandwich. A fucking chicken sandwich, you guys. This is what people are torn about, a chicken sandwich. Can you imagine people starving in another country and seeing America divided over what chicken sandwich they're going to eat? This is fucking crazy, crazy talk. Then on another level, you had the whole NFL thing, right? Like, I grew up playing sports. My dad played college football, I think a little semi-pro. I loved football growing up. It was so much fun. You know, I, I kind of romanticized it. I, I can remember as a kid, I think it's because whatever your parent does, you know, as a son, especially your dad, you kind of romanticize that thing. But I remember he had one of these old pigskin footballs. So they were called pigskin back in the day. And uh, I remember the leather of that and smelling that, and it had the threads in it that were real threads, you know, and seeing that football, I still, it's so alive to me in my mind, you know, what that smelled like and felt like to see that football in the house. And I remember playing it as a kid and just, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where people played sports and we always played football on the street and that type of thing. So this is what I'm saying. I actually have a relationship with the football that goes back to my childhood. You know, it was a sport that I loved and I excelled and I was really good in it. I played uh, for a while. I ended up playing a lot of sports in high school. Football, I played less and less because I had knee injuries. But I was always, I was pretty good in it, you know. But not just pretty good in it, I loved the game, right? But Colin Kaepernick decides to use his platform playing football to protest police brutality against black people and systemic injustice, let's call it. Which I don't have a problem with. But because you know, he he decides to kneel during the national anthem. We all know. But because he does it playing football, now I have to have a problem with football. Now, because he wants to do it with football, I somehow can't like football. And because, you know, he uses football to protest with and he's not able to get a job, if I keep liking football, somehow <laughs> I'm a sellout. These are the things that are driving me crazy, guys. And, it, you know, it's turned into something else that it didn't even become. And now you have Jay-Z, who is a sellout because he supported Kaepernick, but now he's going to be an owner of a football team. But Kaepernick did get some money from the NFL. So it's getting very convoluted here. I just want to know, when can I watch football again? That's all I want to know. I don't want to lose my black card watching football, but I do like football. I just want to know. Just please somebody tell me so I can do the right thing. That's all I'm saying. 
But this is this is my whole point. This stuff is exhausting. Trying to keep up with this, it is exhausting to figure out what you can like and what you can't like, and how people are going to judge you by it. Right now, you know me. I don't give a fuck about it. I'm still going to watch football. But at the same time, it it makes me crazy because you can't stop thinking about that shit, right? Okay. The Uber example of this and the one that really, really makes me mad because the other stuff, it makes me kind of fake mad. It makes me very funny mad, right? I'm not really mad. I get frustrated about it, but I'm not really mad. This one really angers me, okay? Our president... Yes, our president, unfortunately, not their president, but he is our president. That's why we're so upset, because he's our president. If he wasn't my president, I wouldn't be upset, right? (laughs) So he is our president. Our president has treated out and said that any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat show either total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. What the fuck is wrong with this man? I mean, of all the, the tweets that he has put out there and all the bullshit that he has said, how fucking dare you? I mean, it's one thing to call out your own people, let's say, like black people calling out black people or whatever, Jewish people calling out Jewish people. But you are, <laughs> you are the whitest of white men ever to hold the presidency with the possible exception of Andrew Jackson and Andrew Johnson who actually took a position when a group of people said Jews will not replace us to point out so that we would know clearly where you stand that there were some fine people in that crowd making that statement. Jews will not replace us. And you have the fucking nerve to say that a Jewish person that doesn't take your side is somehow disloyal. Go fuck yourself. I'm not even Jewish. You know, well, I've been an honorary Jew on many occasions, you know, but that's a whole different story. But I cannot believe the president of the United States, this is the most divisive president we have ever had, to actually make a statement like this and glorifying himself because he's friends with with Netanyahu and wants to bathe himself in, in the glory of this adulation he's getting from Israel right now, where someone tweeted out that, basically calling him the king of Israel. This is so, the world is so upside down, you guys. It's so upside down. And this notion that is being thrown at the left, and it's thrown at the left all the time. Look, there, I'm sure there are many people on the left who are anti-Semitic, as are people on the right, right? But that's not the issue. But a critique of a country is different than the hatred of a religion or the hatred of a people. It's different. Can we be adult about this shit, you guys? For once, England is one of our allies. I I like England. I don't know if I'm an Anglophile. My son actually is an Anglophile. He's he's loved England since he was a kid. I think he's in love with Big Ben or whatever. You know, I love England. You know, I think it's a great country every time I've been there. But if England had an action that we were against, it would be fair to criticize them as they criticized us, you know, when we did something they didn't like. Israel is a country. It's a country. If the country does something that we disagree with, it's okay to criticize it. It does not make you anti-Semitic. If you are criticizing them for their Jewishness, that may become a problem of anti-Semitism. If if the nature of them being Jews is the is the source of your criticism, now that's an issue of being anti-Semitic, but not criticizing just a country's actions or for whatever it is. We need to be grown up about this on both sides. But For the president of the United States to make a statement like this, I mean, come on, guys. There there has to be a last straw for this president 
where people and I'm talking about Republicans now. You guys have to say this is this is too fucking far. We can't accept anything out of his fucking mouth anymore. It's too fucking far to divide people in this way. And yes, he has said many things that I disagree with. And Larry, why are you choosing this issue? I think this really upsets me because the way in which this type of um, message is embraced by the right, that somehow Democrats or people on the left are anti-Israel and anti-Semitic, which is ridiculous, you know, and to call it out in this fashion and to make a statement like this and glorifying himself in the process. And for somebody who in, in his messaging is so anti-Jewish, like all the time, for God's sakes, you know, White nationalism and white supremacists can't get enough of Donald Trump. Even if you defend him and say he's not that, I don't care. The people who are that can't get enough of him, and there are clear reasons why. And by the way, Jewish hatred is in there. I'm sorry. I don't care what you say. So I don't like that kind of shit at all. We'll see what's going to happen. I'm beginning to turn around... Well, I don't know. I was just going to say, I don't know if he if he can get reelected under all this. But sometimes it just makes me so mad because I know these are some of the reasons why he actually would get elected, which is so fucked up. <laughs> Tells you more about America, right? But this whole notion really makes me upset. We'll see what's going to happen if uh, if Republicans actually come out and see what they say about this. But, you know, I might have a chicken sandwich today. I think I'm going to take some time. Think about where I really want to have that sandwich. Look out, Wendy's. Might be coming your way. <laughs> All right. We'll be back with Bashir and Diallo. All right, welcome back. Um, I have two very special guests here, uh, back in there, Diallo Riddle and Bashir. Salahuddin. Hey. Did I say it right? Flawless. Come on, man. Come on. Black excellence. I just say uh, Bashir and Diallo is what I like to say. I think is the, the comedy team, the comedy stylings of Bashir and Diallo. The ethnic humor of Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they're and coming out of the box uh, in the last couple of weeks with two new shows. Yeah. Uh, Sherman Showcase, I think, on IFC mm-hmm. and Southside on Comedy Central. Congratulations, yes, guys. Thank you very much. We, yeah. we gave birth to twins. You know, to twins? You know, say, like, Fraternal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they look, they don't look anything alike. <laughs> nah, no. You guys are kind of bursting on the scene right now, but you've been around for a while, you know. Too you long. <laughs> no, not too long. It's a good amount of time. I wish we could have had this conversation 10 years ago. <laughs> no, man. Everything happens in its old time. husk you know? of a man right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Decaying carcass, collecting residual checks. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. But uh, both you guys are, you know, you're funny on your own right, and then you you're potent as a team too, mm, and uh, thank you. Been around for a while. I first came to know about you through Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, yep. the, the Late Night Show before he did the Tonight Show. You right. guys were writers on the right. original we were there, show. There, mm-hmm. yeah, that was our. F- actually, that was not our first foray into TV. Our first yeah. foray, actually, we owe uh, David Allen Greer. Oh, uh, he, Chocolate News. We you were, were, we were the baby that, right? writers yeah. on Chocolate News. I, I think we got. That. I think we got one, maybe two jokes in yeah. in that in that Adam season. Adam Facts, uh, right. yeah, right. Facts, yes, right, yeah, that's right, and. Uh, you know, we learned a lot, yeah. you know, in that three-month period. Sure, yeah, I remember Chocolate News. <laughs> yeah. 
I was thinking, mm, chocolate news, you're almost there, chocolate news. Yeah, man. There's a lot of good. It's a it's a mixed bag. What's yeah. crazy is Jordan Peele was on that show too. That's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Underutilized. Yeah. Sure. I mean, like, but, really, yeah. the, the craziest thing about that experience was that because we got so little material on the air, like, if people told us they right. loved it, you feel like a fraud. Yeah. And if they say they hated it, you're like, hey, I got two jokes. <laughs> but it's nice if they remember the thing that you did, yeah. though, right? Yeah, it's true. So there was this one sketch, yeah, I wrote that one. <laughs> no, just flexing, flexing on them. Uh-huh. Doing and my thing. Did you guys, You both of you guys went to Harvard, right? We did. We met yeah. there, yeah. And Basha, you're from Chicago. Southside. Southside. And Diallo, you're from Atlanta, right? Hey, shouty. <laughs> I mean, we we're going to be doing... We have to represent our city. Look, right? this yes, whole, this exactly. whole, I like the way you represent it, We're doing our ethnic so, catchphrases yeah. today. <laughs> this, this episode's Let's called Street things. Smarts. Guys, <laughs> we'll just see. Were you guys at Harvard at the same time? Did you yeah, know yeah, each we other there? That's yeah, we, we, met an, we met in an acapella group. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that serious? Well, this group was not serious, but... It, it <laughs> but both of you guys are, are talented musicians, right? We love music. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons that it's in Sherman Showcase. We've been in an acapella group. I did theater and musical theater right. since uh, my freshman year in high school. Uh-huh. Uh, Diallo still to this day DJs. We both sing. So you tell me you're from the South Side, mm-hmm. and you grew up doing musical theater. I grew up not doing music. I grew up <laughs> on the South Side, but what happened was mm-hmm. I went to Whitney Young, which is this uh, magnet high school, <laughs> sure. and there were my homeroom teacher was also the dance coach for the dance team. So wow. I would see all these dancers in there every day. And then one day, one of them came to me and said, hey, we're doing The King and I, and we need some dance. guys to stand around us while we dance. You don't have to know how to dance. You just got to stand. Sure. And then it was, I had to pick between that and playing baseball. And I played Pony League baseball, and I got hit wow. by a ball. So I knew my future in baseball wasn't happening. <laughs> I, got, I got hit by a ball playing uh, baseball Where'd you get when hit? I was young. Right in the, I was wearing glasses, and I got hit in the eye. Oh. The glasses stopped it from being really bad. Wow. Good for but, you. Uh, yeah, how old were you at the time? Oh, man, I was maybe in the fifth grade, I think. Yeah, I was like 11, 12. And I got to yeah. say, 11, 12-year-old pitchers throw a lot harder than Absolutely. <laughs> you think. Because he hit me. Here's, here's the funny part. Uh, my dad is from Panama. So, you know, baseball oh, you know, baseball and boxing, those are the yeah. things. Oh, that's so right. Boxing, he was there, yeah. and he was like, all right. So I'm I'm not an athlete. So I, but I was up there, and yeah. the kid threw the ball, and he hit me right here, my Ooh. arm. And it hurt so bad, Ooh, I right started crying. Bone. Yeah. And I never forget my dad's face was like, good God. <laughs> Stop crying? What was, what was I was crying face? so hard. I was like, ah! I was like 12, by the way. Not a little kid. <laughs> what are you, musical theater? Good, get out of here. Get your shine box and go dance. Like, he's he's sensitive. Was, He'll do theater. He'll I was playing theater. third base, and I remember um, I thought it was, uh, oh, it was the third out, you know? I mean, yeah. The guy struck out or whatever, but the catcher thought it was the second out. And he, the guy on second base was running to the dugout, but he thought he was running to third base. And so he threw, he gunned the ball at to me. You. And like you said, 11, 12 no, motherfuckers have some arms, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. That's no joke. He gunned that shit and hit me, bam, just yeah. knocked me out, you know. never. I didn't play baseball after that. I was you, done. You, you learn quick if you love it or not. Oh, yeah. It's funny how those traumatic baseball events. <laughs> yeah. I, love, so, I still love watching it, by the way. I still, yeah. I still play it on, uh, on uh, my PS4, but in real yeah. life. No go, yeah. no go, no go, kids. And so, but you knew at a at a young age that uh, performing was something that you yeah, were you know what it in, is. Right? It's and I'm sure Diallo has a similar story. Mm-hmm. I uh, I used to try and make my family laugh. We're both yeah. very big families. Yeah. We always say he's one of six, I'm one of eight. Yeah, and we everybody all, competes to be the first. Right. Exactly, I had the same experience. Yeah. Exactly, we used to perform for my dad. We used to do these shows <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I used yeah? to get up yeah. on the oh, yeah. coffee table and sing the greatest love of all. Yeah, for like my family and neighbors. <laughs> exactly, that was, that was my song. 
I just I used to pretend to be the family dog. I would put a yeah. belt in my back and then <laughs> the run family it. dog. We didn't yeah. have a dog, and so right. we would do. And it, they would. I mean, I did it for the laughs. It would, it would kill. Right. It was a bit. It would kill. Yeah. But then also, I grew up uh, in a in a Muslim household, and mm-hmm. my dad used to uh, make us do these speeches when I was like. Was it strict? Uh it was strict sounding, but in, in, okay. in practice, it was actually really unstrict. And I really appreciate it. The older we got, mm-hmm. I'd say like by the time I was 15, I didn't even have a curfew. Because mm-hmm. my parents were like, we got too many kids. You guys, yeah. we can't watch all you stay, guys. Stay out of the house. <laughs> Nobody get anybody pregnant. Yeah. Nobody right. die. Those are the rules. Now, because, because it's Chicago, I have to ask, was it was it just a traditional Muslim or was it Nation of Islam? Uh, well, all, all Muslims in America, particularly African Americans, were Nation of Islam to begin. In 1970, uh-huh. between the schism. F- the schism happened between, I'm going to say, between 76? 74 to 76. Really? Where Elijah Muhammad passed, and mm-hmm. then you had his son, Wallace Muhammad, or okay. Warvdi Muhammad, who my dad and I followed, and Farrakhan yeah. was like, no, we're going to keep doing the nation. So that was actually yeah. the split, and my parents went with the, like, no, no, we need to be Muslims like everybody else on the planet. Right. But then there were other friends of theirs, literally, who were like, no, no, we're going to keep being black Muslims. So there was actually a huge schism mm-hmm. in 76, and we went the, the sort of traditional route. And it's hard to be a Muslim leader and your name is Wallace. It right? is. Yeah. It is. Well, he changed it for us. For, for us, it was Wardeth. Wardeth Bin Muhammad. But uh, yes, but his birth name, I think, you know, because everybody was born, he's regular American. Right. So it was like, you know, Fred, Fred Muhammad and uh, yeah. uh, uh, Brother Fard and, uh, you sure. know, Elijah, even though that's more of a biblical name, I think. And yeah. then uh, Wallace, Absolutely. Wallace Dean. Yeah, but it was, I was I was just talking about this to somebody. I think the cool thing about it, and I actually, not to keep dragging you into this, but we have kind of a similar mm-hmm. vibe is that when you grow up not the main religion mm-hmm. in America, you're an outsider. And I have always cherished, the older I've got, the more I cherished yeah. being able to take the um, non-popular opinion. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's kind of how I was raised. It was like, everybody's doing this. Yeah. We're going to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I think just that little bit ended up being helpful. But what was cool is my parents never tried to deny the world any of that. So right. they talked a lot of shit about it. My dad especially. Uh, he would be like, you know, y'all got to be careful out here, brother. But my mom was so cool. She was like, <laughs> sure. first time I ever tasted alcohol, my mom, like, we had a wedding. And she poured a little bit into, like, a little thimble. She went taste it. I was like, hell yeah. Uh-huh. So it was just like they were not coming from the point of view that, like, you have to separate yourself from this world. Right. You're separate in both ways, you know, being black in America, being Muslim in a black world, all that. I was Catholic growing up in— Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Pomona, California here. But my parents are from Chicago. They're from Evanston, you know, from that area, so— Real familiar with all that, but uh, it was also, oh, yeah, you go to that Catholic school. They always put that <laughs> F in there, you know. But I always had that outsider's point of view. Yeah. I always said I felt like I'm at a family reunion, but I'm not in the family. So Sometimes felt like, it feels that but way. But it helped yeah. me to be contrary all the time. And it's not opposite, but contrary, yeah. where you have your own opinion. What was it like for you in Atlanta? Um, yeah, I was going to say my whole family was, you know, traces its you know lineage back to California, like at the early, like, 1907. To like California? They, yeah. Like oh, they, wow. they left Ohio mm-hmm. uh, and started moving west, like towards the end of the last century. Uh-huh. Um, and then by 1907, you know, most of the families planted out here. Wow. What made my upbringing weird was that after Nixon got reelected, uh-huh. dad was like, we're leaving the country. <laughs> Like and he actually did. He he, he took his five kids. He was pre Watergate. And they, he, he yeah, saw this, this stuff coming. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is before I'm born, obviously. Right. But like you know, he took his five kids and and wife, and they moved to Martinique. And after about six wow. months, they're like, you know what? We're American. But they had had so many going away parties in Los Angeles. They're like, <laughs> we can't go straight That's back. So funny. We can't go straight back. I so being in Martinique, I think we missed. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they got there, I guess it was a, uh, I guess Carnival was taking place. So they were like, sure. this is amazing. And then yeah. like. After Carnival was over, they were like, oh, we're mm. American more than we knew. Yeah. So yeah. dad decided to move the family to Atlanta because wow. there was like this 
you know, I think it was an article in Jet or somebody that where they were like, yeah. the New South is rising, and you know, here's this city that has like a, a growing black middle class population. So they all moved there, and what made my upbringing different was the fact that everybody in the family was kind of like a California. You know, maybe black nationalists, but also sort of hippie-ish. You know, <laughs> the, girl, the, girl, the girls wore jeans, which, uh-huh. you know, in the mid-'70s was not something that a lot of black, you know, people did in uh-huh. the South. They were still, you know, all skirts. Um, oh, so yeah. when they got to Atlanta, we were the one family that didn't go to church every Sunday. That's true. And that was, like, a big part of my That's upbringing. That's huge because, yeah, Oh, like, my God. They would always be like, yeah, y'all, you cool, but you're not saved. You know, like, I got that a lot. <laughs> Um, and by the way, like, I feel like our family was very spiritual uh-huh. um, and, you know, short of like, you know, praying to Gaia or something like that. Like, right. we, we were reasonably religious, but because we didn't go to church every Sunday, like that was sure. that was a big deal in my right. upbringing. And I also felt like an outsider growing up for that reason. Were you guys the first in your family to to make the educational leap, you know, where there's no. always like a first where, cause you guys went to Harvard. Were there other people that came before you? Uh, if I can, I, I'll just say that, mm-hmm. the, you know, <clears throat> what we lacked in um, religion, we definitely sort of made up for in sort of like an intellectual uh, mm-hmm. capacity. And we always say like, you can be intellectual and be dead broke. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like true. we were making no money, but yeah. like yeah. all the riddle kids went to college and, you know, like uh-huh. education was always the most important. Were your parents thing. teachers and all? Or? No, was, my father was a uh-huh. painter. Um, and my mom was a housewife. Your father was an artist. My yeah, father was an artist. Which, kind of which also made us weird. By the way, he was showing at the Broad. Really? Still. Yeah, my father's artwork is in the uh, Soul of a Nation. I'm going tomorrow. Uh, I can't exhibit. wait to go see. Me and Donnie are going to go. Not that anybody knows that America. <laughs> my buddy from college <laughs> are going to go. Right. He also has a one-man show that's up standing right now at the Craft Contemporary on Wilshire right next nice. to LACMA. Yeah. There you go. Nice yeah, question. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. I, <laughs> and your parents were teachers? Or <laughs> my, uh, my dad originally was... Um, he was a mechanic for the airlines. He mm-hmm. worked for Midway Airlines. So Man, I never... see, that's that solid yeah. type of job back then. <laughs> oh, in my the God. Day. It was incredible. You know what I mean? We it's used like... to travel all over the world. Yeah. I mean, that's a lie. We used to travel over America. Excuse me. Uh-huh. We, had to, we had to dress up because you have to dress nicely if you're going to fly with the employees. We had to yeah. put our little baby suits on. This is the 80s, by the way. And we would go to the airport in the 80s with my mom and the kids. So the the ties were super thick. Super thick. thick But my dad was all, he's so proud of his family. And then I never, I was. The whole family looked like the whispers. The whole, we did actually, yes. I was the one with the beard up to Exactly. Under the eyeballs. With the whispers. But we would travel all over the country and it was was cool. Like, you know, it was like my mom would always be like, well, you know, because the stewardesses were really friendly with my dad. It was like. Yeah. You know, it was like that kind of vibe. It was the 80s. You know, everybody's like that. And then I was a kid and I was like, that. This is awesome. You know, we got to, like, travel all over on airplanes and what have you. But then my mom was an early education specialist, Uh and she teaches kids. And so, um, actually, my dad eventually became a teacher after he he quit his career and started teaching. But both my parents educate. Like, I always tell people, like, my mom had us every weekend in some— enrichment program, some, you know, summer mm-hmm. of science or like a kids initiative. Like she just kept us busy mm-hmm. so that hopefully she could give us more to do than like the, what you do in Chicago when you have downtime. Right. Exactly. Which is, it's the downtime. Yeah. Which, uh, the, the, the devil's playground kind <laughs> yes, of thing. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, but we, I was always doing little speeches and, and being on stage and doing yeah. little religious speeches and like, I had to write them and do them. And so uh-huh. when I got to high school and there was a chance to perform again, I was like, hell yeah. And I did. And I loved, I've loved it ever since the first time I walked on stage. I was like, this is this is the way to be. And did you do plays in high school? All plays, all theater. Hamlet, uh-huh. right. uh, uh, Cyrano, uh-huh. uh, The King and I. Uh, and we also did Believe It or Not, Les Mis. And then we got shut down. Because you can buy 
licenses from major Broadway shows, but sure. the licenses only allow you to perform two or three songs in a concert setting, aka people sitting around, really? no props and yeah, no props and costumes, just uh-huh. playing. We were like, no, nah, we're gonna do the whole thing. <laughs> we did the whole play, and then the representative from the play came to the high school and shut us down. I love, I love how gangster they <laughs> are. Yeah, they fucking around. Yeah, they came to the high school because people would come so, to our high school we, instead of going to play for it downtown Chicago. You can come uh, see our okay. version. Not as good, but not bad. We got some good right. singers. We got some good, you know, high, black kids in high school could sing. Oh, so yeah. the music was great. The <laughs> props and costumes was a little shaky, you know. But <laughs> drop a little Jean Valjean. Hey, yeah. my boy, I never forget. Jean Valjean had a high top fade. He was killing it. That's hilarious. That boy could sing to buy. Yes, he can sing his ass. I off. love Les Mis. This is one of my all-time favorites. Isn't it great? Um, I used to. I remember I had a Les Mis sweatshirt that I had for years. <laughs> they like look it, better when they're weathered. Actually, the Les Mis so sweatshirt, nice. not that the, gray one. Yeah, you know, that, that, that thing. I, I see old pictures. I go, oh, what happened to that sweatshirt? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Now, Diallo, did did you uh, perform in high school? No, you, you know, this is how detached Atlanta was at that time from uh-huh. the entertainment industry or even even theater like i don't even know if i i don't think my high school had a theater mm-hmm. uh class you know like we there was band you know mm-hmm. i was in the band and i participated in almost every oratory you know oratorical contest because that right. was the opportunity that you had to get in front of people up. and do anything right mm-hmm. um i ran for Were office spe- every year like speech and debate yeah. is that what it was yeah and i, I mm-hmm. figured that i would eventually be going to politics actually really um yeah. But then I got to Harvard, and I figured out, you know, politics isn't really my thing. And I was an econ major. Mm -hmm. And uh, we always talk about the fact that, like, at some point during our Harvard careers, we, you know, I was writing for the Harvard Political Review. You know, Mm -hmm. like, there were, it was still kind of politics, but somewhere along the line, we decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to do this creative thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like coming out of the closet to parents who, like, sent you to Harvard. And they assume <laughs> They're you're like, no, come out of there. <laughs> you assume you're going to come out of there, be on Wall Street, and be their, like, yes, retirement exactly. fund. Yeah. Justify, you know. And it's the, like, Dad, I want to act. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn it. All right, fine. Yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not a, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you come from, I came from the hood. So it's just like. Sure. I'm supposed to go to Harvard and be rich and famous. Change the and world. Hang, change the world, hang out with my new white friends, all this stuff. And then to go there <laughs> to meet the other poor kid and yeah. to be like, hey, we're going to go do Hollywood. My parents are like, put what on the, the show. What's going on? Yeah, I guess you ain't paid no attention to all this shit we've been doing. Right. But then I was like, man, I ain't pay for this shit. I got loans. Calm down. Uh-huh. <laughs> I paid them back. Did you guys ever uh, think about things like the Na- the Harvard Lampoon at that time? We didn't know. You know, it wasn't until we came to LA. It's almost like the cultural. Because yeah. you would have been perfect for that, no, especially at that time. I'm know? happy. You know, I'm so happy. It's just, there's many things in, in, in our career that didn't happen for us, and mm-hmm. I am so happy that that didn't happen because mm-hmm. I didn't know when we went to college that that was a pipeline mm-hmm. to writing in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We didn't find out until we talked to our buddy Josh Lieb years later in yeah. Hollywood at a party, and he was sure. like, why didn't you guys write for the Lampoon? Not Because he wrote for the Lampoon. Yeah. He's like, that would have been awesome. Uh, we didn't know. <laughs> we just, We just, you know, nobody... And particularly, like, a lot of the kids who go to schools like that and know the stuff that's there for them mm-hmm. are kids who go to private schools yeah. also. And we didn't go to private schools. I'm thinking it would have been good for the Lampoon. I wasn't even thinking well, about it. Well, see, and I tell you, when we were there, it was like, <laughs> you know, like, the Lampoon, people on the campus were talking like about any it. sports no, team on a college campus. Yeah. Like, every four years, it's a completely different roster of people. Yeah. So right. some years, the Lampoon is just as good as, like, its glory days of the 1970s. And then right. other years, you're just like, is that is this funny? You're like, yeah. you know, and, like, you it honestly became a little bit cliquish, I feel like, during oh, our time there. Oh, like, completely. Yeah, I'm like, sure it was. It was, yeah. it was a bunch of friends who put out a humor magazine. Right. And uh, I'm sure they thought it was fantastic. And yeah. they're, they're, they're good writers from the Harvard Lampoon, but we're not those Harvard guys who are like, oh, this writer went to Harvard, we got to hire him. Like, right. if anything, I feel like we're almost anti that. Like, you guys just, it's almost like you just happened to go to Harvard. Harvard <laughs> existed so you could meet each other. 
Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> That's how it existed. Now, did you guys? Yeah, because Harvard, Harvard wasn't at all what I expected. Really? And, and me at way. Harvard wasn't what I would have thought. You did know, you feel like, like you didn't get what you wanted out of it? Or? It's, I, I'm a mixed bag when it comes to Harvard. Mm-hmm. I made so many good friends, this guy included. But, um, you know, I just don't know what I got out of it in mm-hmm. terms of, is I don't know. Is it what did you think when you were done? Did you think, all right, what am I going to do now? <laughs> exactly. No, <laughs> I did that before. I literally graduated uh-huh. having no idea what yeah. I was going to do. It's scary. My parents had expectations. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and they I, want I, you to go into law like, or anything. So what's like that? the plan Medical, now? Be a doctor. Just, they wanted yeah. you to be a doctor. Well, I told him I was going to be a doctor. Oh, you know, since the time I was a little kid. Uh-huh. But I think when you're a little kid, you know, again from that neighborhood, you always think doctor, lawyer. And I was like, right. well, I want to be a lawyer. And I was like, I'm good at science. I got A's in all science. Right. And it wasn't until I spent a summer working at a hospital that I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. This. Yeah. this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, not. I mean, also, you know, doctors have so much school to go to. You really have to. Absolutely. You have to see the finish line when you're studying yeah. medicine because you're going to be doing calculus for some reason and you're going like what does this have to do with taking somebody's temperature right. but you got to pass that class <laughs> and all the work with cadavers you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, I was an econ major I, I took econometrics and I, I finally had for the first time in life that that drowning feeling like when you right. study really hard but you just can't get it you know yeah. I was studying so hard in econometrics but it was basically like applied math yeah you know with dollar signs and I, I just couldn't get it and that was the point at which I was like you know what maybe I'll do this humanities thing so economics is so esoteric I mean, it's it's one of those things because to me, I feel like the thing that makes economics hard to pin down is the human factor. Mm. It's not like straight math. It's like yeah. humans fuck up this math all the time because yeah. of emotions and trends totally. and but herd behavior. I'll and all say, that I'll kind say of the stuff. macro models we were studying. Mm-hmm. You know, you you could almost take the 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 humanity out of it because yeah. like there were just certain things they were they were they were pushing right. You know, to us and and obviously like I th- I feel like at the time the Harvard School was really affected by Friedman's thinking. So, you know, uh-huh. we were sure. sort of being steered in a certain direction. Right. Friedman. Yeah. The Friedman model. Yeah. I don't um, know what that means, but it sounded really smart. <laughs> you said it. it. You know, I think for both of us, it just, like for me personally, I just, I found that I spent all my time on, and I loved, I had a good time at heart, but I spent most of my time doing stuff that was fun for mm. me at least, right? Mm-hmm. I hated studying. I was terrible at studying. Mm. I hated you know, most of the classes. I didn't hate the classes, but I was like, this has, I think even then I saw like, what does this have to do practically with anything that I want to do for a right. living? And so I did, same as him, have that feeling. Middle of junior year, it was like this sort of voice in the back of your head was like, it's coming to an end. What you going to do? Wow. I'm like, oh, we cool. We're going to party. And you're like, oh, God, this is how, it's like being on a conveyor belt. It's yeah. like pushing you toward the edge. <laughs> and, and there's the whole a time, cliff at the end And then you see your it, friends yeah. getting it's on like these that escalators. Scene in of Doom where like it's crushing rocks. Dude, well, you and see your, friend, your friends are on different escalators and they're going to like, Law school, yeah, sure. Medical school. They're going to do McKinsey Consulting. Like and you're like, doing, all right, yo, good luck, everybody. It's like when everybody <laughs> went off to do SEO. Clip. Like that everybody was went thing. off to do, and we just fell off the cliff. But we came to L.A., and what was cool about coming to L.A. was we just, we just, you know, we partied a lot, but we really just started working. We just didn't know anything, mm-hmm. and we just started working. I worked originally at Warner Brothers. He worked at Paramount. He was working in uh, A and R. And both Excuse of you guys knew you wanted to be in A&R. showbiz at that time. Oh, I knew. Yeah. I knew my yeah, j- I by knew. the time I moved out here. Mm-hmm. My sister was like yeah. an assistant casting director. So mm-hmm. I just shadowed her and I, I did fall in love with the industry. I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I right. thought I went maybe work on the uh, studio side. But I mean, that's good to hear because a lot of people, they always ask, how do you break in? And sometimes you don't know exactly what you want to yeah. do. Yeah. But it's good to just get in and do something. Start right? doing stuff. You know, yeah. I had heard, and you probably have uh, familiarity with this, mm-hmm. but I'd heard Keenan had a sketch group called Susie Wong. Or mm-hmm. something like that. And so we sort of did that. We, we put together a sketch comedy group uh, called Cleo's Apartment, which was sort of named oh, after yeah. this yeah. random uh, album cut on Marvin Gaye's uh, Trouble Man album. Uh-huh. Um, but what's cool about that group is 
we had immediate success. We opened at the uh, Hudson Theater, the Comedy sure. Central stage, sold out six shows. It wasn't that it made any money because it didn't, but it was more like it was really just a validation. It was all just broke. <laughs> but it was <laughs> a validation. It was broke, unfamous yeah. You know, people who came together to form like an all black sketch group. But looking back now, it was that sketch group was me, Bashir, mm-hmm. Robin Thede, yep. Wyatt Sinek, yep. Yep. Uh, That's Nick, right. Nika right. King, yeah. who's on Euphoria, mm-hmm. um, Fred Nefertari. Uh, Fred Nefertari and, and Angela Yarbrough. Spence, yeah. 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 So it was, yeah. it's kind of nice to look up now. Three of those people are on HBO. Yeah. yeah. You know, two of those people aren't. <laughs> two of those people aren't. But it's nice, <laughs> it's nice to look up and be like, all right, we were correct. Yeah. Than who we were surrounding Isn't that ourselves amazing with. Amazing when you think about yeah. that. The things that you're attracting at the time, and you have yeah. those goals, and like you said, all those people, you know. But it's crazy yeah. because we'll have, we'll do interviews, and then people will be like, "Well, do you feel like this is a moment? This is a moment right now for black content." And I won't deny that there's a lot of great stuff on the air. Mm-hmm. I just am always reminded of the the moment was worked towards by a lot of people for 20 years. Yeah. We remember 20 years ago sure. not being able to get return phone calls. So in Absolutely. some ways. I just sort of a little. Remember six years ago, when I we just had to reject, do more yeah. translating to the executives totally. that I feel like you have to do. I guess I just I've I've seen, I reject. I've seen yeah. it go in cycles. Exactly. Where, yeah, exactly. Where black is popular, then it's gone. <laughs> oh, dude, popular, we were just talking about the other day how, like, when Fox first came out, I always felt like they use us to get the people to watch, and then they cut mm-hmm. us off. So, like, <laughs> yeah. when Fox first came on the air, I remember they had a ton of black TV shows. Yeah. And then once Martin. they had once they had everybody yeah. watching, yeah. all of a sudden they started trying to find their friends and I, find their I, you the know, WB and well, UPN. They, when they got the NFL, I, I said they had an ethnic cleansing during that time. You know, that's hilarious. By the way, you know what's funny? They probably think of that as their black programming too. Because, I mean, you know, those are black TV stars. Because really, I mean, sports is entertainment, right? Yeah. But I could see how they think that. But it's also not fair for people like us who want to create content and want to write and want to, like, you know, generate and be in the idea business. Because that's the business that um, is the reason we came to L.A., to be in the idea. To try and do something different and unique and special. Uh, And, you know, we got kind of— when you guys on were, the way. When you guys were doing Cleo's, is that where you got the idea to maybe team up and do something together? We were teaming up before that. Yeah. And, and we, we 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 were sort of the core of Cleo's. It was Diallo and I. Mm-hmm. And we had auditions, actually, yeah. for the rest of the people. And they just, it was so mm-hmm. funny. I remember Robin's audition. Killed it. Crushed God. it. It's been funny since day one. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And uh, we just, we started doing shows and it just felt really good. But yeah. at the same time, we were also experimenting with making movies. So we made uh-huh. this little short film called Pimps Up, Bears Down, which is like a play on HBO <laughs> Circus at the Point. Yeah, yeah. We had me being funny. like, the Johns love the way the bears move. And then it was like me in a bear suit. This is, what you, this is what you do. By the way, this is what you do when you're in Hollywood. You have no money. But, you have, but you're surrounded by a lot of friends who right. really want to make it. It's and y'all just start making stuff, man. We it's just started making yeah. stuff. Yeah. And one of our things yeah. we made— Starring Neff actually went viral. It was on CNN one morning, and we, lo- we looked up, and uh, this yeah, video we, we made called Kanye Rice Raps yeah. had like 2 million views. I remember that. At yeah. a time when nobody was getting uh, yeah. that many views. That's how we got our written. first agent, our first manager. Yeah. Bernie Brolstein was our manager. Oh, so that Bernie, was, man. Yeah, good old Bernie. Mr. Chauvet. Yeah. We showed up. like He had like a, about a year and a half left, yeah. but we didn't know it at <laughs> Neff the did a good Michelle, I thought, too. She crushed yeah. it. Yeah, well, she, con- no, she did. Con- she did Michelle on us too. But yeah, she did. Yeah, Condi but Rice that Condi that was viral. I yeah. remember yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that yeah. was very funny. That was yeah. incredible. I was, it was nice. To, and, and I think what's interesting is even if you look at our show, Sherman Showcase, the DNA of that is in it. It's yeah. all music. Yeah. It's music. It's Absolutely. comedy. A little bit of politics. A little bit of thought. But really, it's just us trying to identify something really fun that, that we just loved and yeah. just like. And we grew out. up loving things like the Muppet Show and Pee Wee's right. Playhouse. Oh my god! So, so like, oh, it comes out to yeah. do to do a show that's sort of like that, or even like a 2019 version of of Laughing. Right. Where like the the sketch can be literally ten seconds or it can be eight minutes. No, you your know? guys' love for that kind of stuff comes so through <laughs> in the show. Uh, before I get to that, though, I do want to talk about your time at Fallon because yeah. 
I want people to know, you know, some of the stuff that you guys, you know, kind of were responsible for. We there. did. Uh, we, 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 I'll give you a baby backstory. Yeah. We, uh, Jimmy called us. He said, uh, come to New York for a meeting. Mm-hmm. We met with him. Originally, it was a 13-week contract. And, you know, the only um, sort of like SNL-hosted talk show before that had been the Chevy, the Chevy Chase show, which had not succeeded. And so the—, the Really? <laughs> I'm just thinking, man. Oh, the only person to come out of SNL. At the SNL who was hosting the, well, I mean, technically Conan, but technically I kind of also, Conan, but he was, was he's a also a Simpsons guy yeah. too. I don't yeah. quite count him. As, he, was he wasn't like the blessed by Lauren, like you were on the, yeah, exactly. It's true. So It's, it's still amazing that Conan became Conan. I used to, we yeah. used to watch Conan all the time yeah. in school. But uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy, we did it. We came out. And at the time there was also this thing, people forget this, but like Jimmy was getting hammered on social media. Yeah. Which was nascent, but still prevalent because of the whole like, oh, he laughs too much. Family Guy had did right. an episode where they were mm-hmm. like, Jimmy Fallon laughs too much. And people so that thought, was the thing. Is, is his career over? He had done a couple. of He done Taxi, which had not yeah, done well. Fever Pitch, right. Fever Pitch, which so I remember. Right. Uh, Thirteen weeks, we just went to New York and we just bust our ass. We learned that he was really all about focus on the funny. Mm-hmm. We did our job. We also ended up getting an Emmy nomination. But what's cool is that we ended up writing a lot of his big hits and a lot of his musical hits. We did. Slow jam, the news. Slow jam the news. Yeah. With Obama, we did uh, yeah. the history of rap with Justin Timberlake. Now, was know. Obama on the late night version, or he, he was, was on the late night? He was late night version. Oh, that was before yeah. the Tonight Show. This was before the Tonight Show. Yeah, oh. we we went to North Carolina. He was mm-hmm. doing a that speech. That was actually the yeah. last time we did um, slow, jam. slow jam the news because the very first episode had a slow jam. The news. It sure did. Oh. And we were so ambitious, we thought we were going to write a new slow jam every single time we did I it. Know. And, new, new and actually, yeah. I went back recently and I found a recording of the second slow jam the news, and that song is really really good. Talk about it. A-I-G. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, we were working with Questlove. So, like, I always say, yeah. like, and, yeah. it's so rare to meet somebody in Hollywood who is as cool as you hope they will be. It's oh, yeah. like, a, it yeah. never happens. But yeah. he is one of the rare, like, oh, my he's God, he's just geek. as cool as we hope. He's a yeah. nerd. Yeah. He's fun. He's a nerd in the best sense. Oh, my yes. God, yeah. yeah. That's, but we wrote music. and we, Let's say in the best yeah. sense of the word, because otherwise people on the internet will be like, oh, man, they talk what? about Questlove. <laughs> they said he was a nerd. Well, black it, black there, Twitter. There's a different definition of cool now, too. And, and nerdism, if you will, has kind of taken, has found a space in there that yeah, that agree. people really I mean look at the people sitting around this table we all yeah, have on nerdy glasses really true. it's, it's yeah. true though and and I think what nerd has become is like it's this deep appreciation for something specific like music or yeah. you know whatever it is and people at, like at the point, fact that people have a deep cool. appreciation for something I always you know? I always yeah. always love I love that when they do that in Stranger Things and I always love that quality even yeah. when I was in high school and yeah. I went to a school that was about 60% black so we definitely yeah. were on all the trends but I loved my friends who played Dungeons and Dragons and right. all that. I just love that there yeah. are people who had an unironic love of something. Yes, they weren't. Exactly. They were not afraid. <laughs> unironic to love it. Sometimes the it was. Sometimes it was metal music. Yeah. Honestly, there were a lot of black guys when I was coming up who were just obsessed with the Native Tongues hip hop movement. Yeah. Literally dressed like you know Jerobi and uh, uh, you know uh, Dinko D and whoever. Yeah. They, they dress like those guys. This is in Chicago, but they just latched on so hard because mm-hmm. that was actually one of the first times that you had a really strong hip hop movement. In which you know violence in the hood was actually really adjacent. Mm-hmm. It was really about the flow. It was about kicking game. It was about you know uh, uh, dancing, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. And so a lot of kids in my high school were like, "Oh, that's Q-Tip came out." We were like, "Him, that's our guy." But mm-hmm. there was a nerd to it. It was they were obsessed with it. I think yeah. so. We always respect that stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, much respect. And so. Um, that was and, your yeah, well, we did the Quest, thing. Quest Love was a part of that. Quest movement. Love was part yeah, of that. And, yeah. and you know, one of my favorite things about Sherman Showcase is I often 
tell people it feels like me listening to Diallo and Questlove argue about which, <laughs> uh, you know, which James Brown drummer really provided the cleaner sound. Yeah. And was he better with, you know, uh, the JBs or was he better with, nice. you know, the James, you know, like the specifics of that. Well, nice. Bootsy came in and he actually added and, he, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So I kind of love that kind of sort oh, of in great. the weeds music I love this stuff. I can listen to this stuff all day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about your two shows, okay? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You have Southside Sherman Showcase. Since we're talking about Sherman Showcase, which oh. you guys have to see, it's on IFC. And mm-hmm. when is it on? What is the? 10 o'clock. On Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights. And how long is the run? This initial eight, episode. eight, eight episodes. Eight episodes. Yeah. Okay. So, but uh, it's so we kind just of, aired the third episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of a. I think I saw the first. Two. It's kind of a love letter to Soul Train and this period. Solid gold. Solid gold and just the whole. Uh, to me, I you know just because you know maybe because I'm a little older, see some of the other tributaries in there. SCTV to oh, me man. is yes. a, a cousin yes, to this. Yes, um, even The Muppet the, Show, believe it or not, is actually Muppet a very show. big part of it. But even the Ruddles, you know, <laughs> Eric Idle's uh, documentary yeah. of the Beatles, there's even that type of feel to it, whether intentional or not. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of cross lines I love that. in here. But it, a lot of it, to me, I look at it and say, these people love this period, mm-hmm. you know, and love. Well, but I would also take it a step mm-hmm. further and say that, like, we're not trying to do a show that just takes place yes. in the 70s. Right, like, right. to us, it was very important that the show is, you know, still airing in our sort of world of yep. Shermans so that we can make you commentary about. you want to describe about, it, Dion? Yeah, like um, Sherman Showcase, well, the, the easiest way to understand it is if, you know, um, if SNL uh, is, the, is the home of 30 Rock, mm-hmm. then— Sherman showcases Soul Train, Solid Gold, right. the Midnight Special, like yes, all these the things. Midnight that we, Special. We, these were shows that we would buy, like the DVD, <laughs> right. you know, box set in the two thousands, and we'd be like, "Wow, they don't do shows like this anymore." So and part it, of your conceit is that it's almost like an infomercial too. Yeah, you know, the way which which was you know, like we we play so much with the format of yeah. the show. I mean, we we're really thankful to IFC. It's a weird show but if you give uh-huh. it like an episode or two eventually you sort of start to understand oh it's kind of an infomercial but it's also kind of a documentary yeah yeah and yeah, some yeah. episodes you, we those, just we yeah. actually just give you a complete episode right. of the show from mm-hmm. like 1994 you know like yeah. it just and it jumps around it basically allowed us to do you know our second love which is music like mm-hmm. right. you know uh, I think John put it best as sketch comedy you can dance to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and John Legend is our executive producer. Like, we always right. wanted to do a show that was like the show that Lonely Island guys never did. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, we always respected the fact that they made their, their, their music was always good enough to be played in clubs. It sure mm-hmm. was. So, like, we felt like we take our love of music, our love of, you know, Fun comedy, almost like at a Zucker Abrams Zucker, you know, mm-hmm. level, Absolutely. and just throw it all into <laughs> this box. It's it's, yeah. it's it's we always say it's like a sandbox because if we have an idea for a movie, yeah, we'll just do a fake trailer, yeah, for that a movie. For it, yeah. If we have an idea for a show, we'll have an advertisement for the show, um, and then if we have an idea for a song, we can put that in there too. So literally, we're able to just sort of flex all of our you know creative muscles at once in this really absolutely it know. really shows you guys off for what your strengths are all mm. of your strengths are played in here plus I like your randomness too <laughs> you know I, I love it I it's love, very random no your randomness to me <laughs> is hilarious can I, like, can, I, can, I, can I bring it back to Questlove sure yeah it, go ahead goes to that point uh, every time I know when he's watching an episode because he'll just start texting me. <laughs> like he was like he's like, yo, and then the next text will say, "Is the reason because I I play the producer of the fake right. show, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dutch." He's like, "Yo, is the reason why Dutch didn't produce the show from 1978 to 1980? Is that a Lauren Michaels reference?" That's hilarious. And, and I'm like, bro, we put a joke in pretty much every frame yeah. of that show. Like honestly, if we could if we could make a geeky reference, yeah, you know that. Just this morning, I actually got a, an email from a friend, a, a creative, a showrunner. Um, he has kids. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, we have one of our actors, one of our dancers is this guy named Tommy Hobson. He was on a show called The Fresh Beat Band, and his character would always say, cool beans, cool beans. When we had him playing uh, the Carlton character in our Fresh Prince of Bel-Air parody, uh-huh. uh, we had that character, we had his character come in as Carlton, but he was like, cool beans, jackass. <laughs> and this guy wrote, he's like, is that a Fresh Beat Band reference? Yeah. Like, I feel like even if you wow. don't get the references, I mean, like, I, I think the critics will tell you, it's a very funny show. But if you get the references like yeah. you get the fact that our prince character is playing the keyboards for a stevie nicks type character and that's a reference to the fact that prince played the keyboards on stevie nicks's stand back mm-hmm. wow then it all then you just get that little extra bit you see, know that's like, the audiences here's what's great about and the zeitgeist where you guys are lined up i think audiences love that shit like, <laughs> like you're doing a uh an easter egg sketch show oh, yeah. oh there's so many easter eggs in, in the era of easter egg <laughs> yeah you know people love easter eggs yeah i love know? it and by it's the so way much fun. I, I was a fan of community i love the fact on community like they would sometimes have sea stories playing out in the background yes like no dialogue <laughs> you just see in the background like donald would come over to <laughs> joe McHale's character they do something yeah. weird and it would pay off in the end there's so many easter eggs in sherman that mm-hmm. uh, i was i was i was actually touched emotionally when mm-hmm. uh, the New Yorker said that uh, the season finale of Sherman's, uh, I forget how she phrased it, but she was like perfectly, you know, perfectly executed, you know, finale that pays off so many Easter eggs that you didn't even know were Easter eggs. That's mm-hmm. amazing. You know, like we, we, it's, it's, it's sort of a time bending episode, but mm-hmm. like it pays off some stuff that, you know, and, <laughs> the, and I think it, yeah, okay. go ahead. I think go it ahead. just all goes towards what all of us want as writers. I think yeah. from, from, in my experience, writers want freedom. Yeah, and they want people, you know, like any artist, you want people to watch it and to right. enjoy it. Our thing is like we love the laughs. We think that you know a lot of uh, content, particularly black content, is so poignant and heavy. Mm-hmm. And we've always felt like there's also got to be space for not that. There's also have to be space Hype for reality, for something that's almost just fun in a smart way. And you know, mm-hmm. we spent so many years. You know, absurdism, we, sometimes yeah, absurdism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spent so many years developing. Totally. We developed at HBO for four years. We had a show that was I remember that ordered to series, <laughs> and then it was killed unceremoniously. The dark ages. But the mm-hmm. Point of that is, I've, by the way, I've always wanted to work with you guys. We met. We met uh, around. Uh, you actually gave us some great advice around that time. Oh, too. good. I'm, um, I'm like, whew, glad sta- it's there. Right? <laughs> it stayed in my head. At the, you know, I'll be honest. At the time you gave it to us, I was so bitter and angry, oh. and I hated hearing it. Uh-huh. But you know how you hear something that's the truth, and then yeah. later on you go, "That was the truth." <laughs> he told me the truth, and and <laughs> I've always respected. What was it? I, he I'm just said, "You got to." We were at HBO struggling, and he was like, "You got to go somewhere that lets you be you." Yep. And we did that, and we yeah. did that. So thank you. This gate that yeah. everybody wants again, that that may not be the place. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, we were so, right. you know, can I just, I, I don't want to ramble on this, but I want to just mm-hmm. quickly tell, tell No, this. this is a podcast. Okay, ramble yeah, yeah, as yeah, much yeah. as you I want. Know but I mean, <laughs> let me just say this. When we left Fallon, the Al and I have, all, we've actually, it's interesting. I, I've often seen people accuse us of being arrogant or whatever. And mm-hmm. not that anybody gives a shit. I'm, I'm talking about, that? I'm talking about behind the scenes, like mm-hmm. other writers, Aww. other writers I know who said things. <laughs> That's not the point. The point mm-hmm. I'm making is, when we left Fallon, our only goal was just to have a show that was our own. And that was it. Yeah. We just wanted a little bitty show that's our own. We actually mm-hmm. went right to IFC yeah. in 2012 and took them a show. They passed. You know who didn't pass? HBO said, come make it here. Yeah. So even though our initial intention was just to have a little bitty show somewhere small yeah. that he and I could just flex like with Sherman's, mm-hmm. it turned out we got sort of swept up into like the, you know, the, the everybody called you, like, hey, HBO wants to do it, HBO wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were known and at the time way, as the hot writers. Friday nights We wanted HBO. to do a quick little Friday night show. Yeah. But then HBO was like, no, no, oh, you got to do a Sunday, like a Sunday night show. Night show. Yeah. We just kept getting bigger pulled thing. into this bigger, yeah. big, which that I'm, vortex. Yeah. And I'm proud of us. I think we fared We didn't know we were being led up to the guillotine. We were led to the guillotine. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that during that entire time, there was so much translational 
difficulty. There were so many times when, like, Diallo and I— now, would, explain that. What I mean is that there's stuff that, that we want to— When you're explaining a joke, yes. it's not as fun. There's mm-hmm. stuff you want to do. There's stuff that's in your own personal— We had heard before then, oh, HBO is so free. They'll let you do whatever you want to do. There's barely mm-hmm. any notes. This is what people say on the outside. Mm-hmm. We all know that's not the case. <laughs> I'm like, the, mm-hmm. the, the point I'm making is that there were, for example, here's an example. Diallo and I had this idea to do one of our shows on the show Brothers in Atlanta. There was a bottle episode. By the way, I love that idea. You guys took. I, I love that pilot. You, you I, told I think, me that idea. I thought it was yeah, hilarious. It's so funny. Man. It's still one of the it's funniest like things ever. On a train. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I love. that We wanted idea. to just be the great. whole thing was going to take place at a black mall. Yeah, one the of our characters, characters go yeah. in. They they want to get a cell phone. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> basically, by the end of the episode, they <laughs> get they, <laughs> they leave there. They, there's no cell phone, and they've been there for like a day. Right. Uh, but literally, we turn in the outline. Very minimalist. Exactly. And by the way, based on our experiences growing up in right. inner cities, every inner city has the black mall. Yeah, you know, Greenbrier in Chicago is evergreen. It's got a couple, it's got a footlocker. There's always a tree uh, name involved. They want you to be involved with <laughs> This the, was your Atlanta. <laughs> this, was, this was. But he, what's funny is it was, yeah. it was Diallo, because uh, he's from Atlanta. We came to HBO in 2011 yeah. and said, hey, Atlanta is the city. You guys have yep. da, 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 da. And it literally, it was, in 2016, somebody gave them an article from GQ that mentioned Atlanta. And they were like, hey, there could be something here. And we mm-hmm. were like, we've been telling you five, <laughs> five years. years. But the point of the other story, guys, <laughs> is simply that we got a phone call from the development person. And he was like, guys, we've talked about this. We really talked about wanting to do something grounded. And we were like, yeah. He was like, Black Mall? Is that a real thing? Or did you make <laughs> that really up? such a thing as a black mall? Is that a real thing? Oh, my so God. So that's what I mean by translation. If you have yeah. to have your own personal narrative mm-hmm. questioned and have the veracity and authenticity of it questioned by somebody who has not lived it, that is difficult. They yeah. put you at odds. I mean, like, to the credit of both IFC and Comedy Central, the places where Correct. we have our current shows, mm-hmm. they've never come to us— nope. And you know, sort of question like, is that real? Is that is that a thing? Do black people do that? I never forget one time we were we were we wrote the scene. I just want to relate. Do we wrote a scene? One of our, to, no, he wanted to shoot down. No, we wrote yeah. a scene. One of our characters was, was wearing a daishiki in mm-hmm. Atlanta, and I never forget that the, the president at the time was like, I mean, come on, daishiki. Do people fucking dress like that? Do people dress like that? A week later, Schoolboy Q's album came out. He was wearing a daishiki, and I was like, this is this is, but this is a fight that we just have to stop fighting because we can't win mm-hmm. this every time to not only have them look at the content and and sort of, uh, you know, um, evaluate the content, mm-hmm. but then to also question all the pieces of it and 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 see if we really believe that. It's a lot of hurdles. And I think that we just, at some point, we just looked up and I think we both realized, like, this is this is going to be that one fight that unfortunately we're not going to win. And, right. it, and, it, and the, the bad news also is that <laughs> it wasn't like a quick phone call, like, hey, guys, this is not happening. It was like nine months yeah, of just yeah. no call. There would be whole weeks where your phone didn't. We finished didn't, the oh, first season script-wise, and we just sat around for at least six months yeah. waiting for production dates. Yeah, yeah. it was you awful. Know? And that's the time about, when you're, you're not earning HBO. money HBO. for your family. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just the worst. I remember talking to you guys where it was almost like you were in purgatory. It was terrible. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. bad. But, we, you know, I think the good news is that um, I think in really, purgatory, at least you're like ascending to heaven. <laughs> like, no, yeah. not necessarily. I, I think the idea of purgatory has changed over the years. <laughs> the idea like, is nobody knows what to do in with purgatory. You. Yeah, 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 totally. But look, it, we, we we went through that experience, yeah. and um, it did strengthen us. It did mm-hmm. make us realize when we left, we only pitched our new shows to one network. Mm-hmm. We just said, you know, this is a good idea. This is a good for idea comedy for Central. Comedy this is a good idea for IFC. Yeah, we and and we stuck to our guns on that. And the whole point of all that is just to say that we didn't have those translational errors. And what we really wanted to do was a show that freed us up. I mean, I think between me and Diallo and our and our on both of our shows are, are either on Southside. It's uh, Michael Blyden on on uh, Sherman, Sherman Showcases. Showcases. This guy Matt, Matt Piedmont, Piedmont from SNL, great guy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we bring 30, 40, 50 years of, of comedy experience, mm-hmm. which simply means we just were really wanting to do something that, that hadn't been done. And so yeah. in some ways, we kind of dug into the past in order to create something new. And I, I'm so happy that so many people are kind of getting that, that we could do so many fun new things by just leaning a little bit on the structure mm-hmm. that allows you to do kind of anything you want to do. And by the way, I'll say that uh, we looked at the landscape, and I, I always like that quote from uh, Snoop that said, uh, you know, I, I make the songs that I want to hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we looked at all the shows on TV, and like I, I like a lot of dramas, I like a lot of dramedies, but there weren't a whole lot of just hard comedies. And I think yeah. the the... the the connective tissue between yeah, both of these I shows exactly is that they're about. actually yeah. hard comedies. Yeah. Like yeah. We, we don't ever get really serious on no. Sherman's sure. or Southside because nope. I don't think that most people come home from like a hard week at work yeah. and they're like, now nah, I'm about to get really poignant. You know, like if, yeah. if you feel like that, then, you know, you There's can tons watch of when they you. see us. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like when right. you want to see something funny, I, I I don't remember Seinfeld ever having a very special episode no, where, never, like, you no. know, Kramer, never. Kramer has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer can't read. Well, he, they did have a very special episode with Kramer, but it was after the show was off the air. Yes, exactly. And it took place in a comedy club Which in LA. Which would have been an amazing <laughs> episode. I believe you saw Kramer says, an amazing episode, Kramer says the N word, is, I believe, the title of yeah. it. He just goes, I'm out. <laughs> so whoever can't say the N word. Okay, you guys, for a week, you cannot say the N word. Kramer's like, like, I'm out. Where are you? Comedy store. I'm out. I <laughs> masturbated before I said the interview. <laughs> no, it was a laugh. It was a laugh factory. Excuse me, laugh factory. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, but we were on a pathway, and I think that the sort of uh, the the inertial sort of dregs of what happened to us at HBO was still mm-hmm. kind of hanging over. For me personally, I'll be honest, it was hanging over my head until the show actually aired. Even yeah. the day of, I was like, "Nigga, they're not gonna air this he's, shit. Watch, yeah, he's they're not gonna air it. They're playing it with us. Like, I think happen. they put up all these billboards and spent all this money. I think they're yeah. gonna actually air it. Nah, you stupid, bro. Like you're crazy. <laughs> but then it actually time. aired. We're like, all right, <laughs> but thank I, you, God. I think those experiences has uh, sharpened your guys' resolve mm-hmm. in terms of making it even more important for you to uh, have your vision and stick to your guns and that kind of stuff. Right? Well, I think you, what you what you yeah. just said is true. I think when we were at HBO, for me personally the imprimatur of that network made me put way more tonnage into what I was told by the people who worked there as being real. And only over time have I learned that, no, no, the greatest stuff you've ever seen on TV is because there's an EP or a showrunner Mm -hmm. there who knows how to stick to their guns and knows how to tell that's a fact. The you know the network. Hey, I know what I'm doing, guys. I, and also knows how to talk to them in a nice way and, and mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know, I think we can. Yeah, do when it you this get way. the notice, I say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Right, we'll take a yeah. look at that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You call them the next day. You're like, look, we tried it out. We, we plugged it in. Can't be rebels. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. There has to be somebody who's a buffer to that who can be that rebel. No, that's know? true. They always mm-hmm. say you have to have somebody who can talk to the network. Well, we we got a guy, you know, especially on the South Side Show. We got a guy who really talks a lot to the network, and he's so he's uh-huh. so much better than I am because I I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve, and so you think that's right? a stupid ass note. Yeah. You know, I'm like mad and shit. It's like, <laughs> chill out, man. It's cool. Yeah. There's a process. You yeah. can't just say yes or no. You have to say network no and network yes. And yeah, to, it is interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about Southside. By yeah. the way, Southside is is really a breath of fresh air in Thank terms you. of narrative storytelling. Thank you. And one of the reasons to me, look at that. Well, cool. is is your editing style in it? Yeah. You know. You just you go from thing to thing to thing to moment to moment, but you don't lose you know the thread of your stories. You Thank know you. you don't, and it doesn't feel that you know because there is kind of a, a gratuitous cut to joke type of sure. trope that's out there. But you guys, the way that you do it is always is I I never feel like I'm leaving something. You know, we, that's to, the to intent. Do that, you, know? you know. Well, let's talk about what the premise of it is. So South Side the premise is based of Southside on- is it's a workplace comedy uh-huh. set in the South Side of Chicago. One of right. my buddies, Quincy Young, who plays Quincy on the show, he actually worked at Renaissance Center. 
mm-hmm. for about 10, 15 years, right? And this is where people, they rent furniture and stuff like that, and it's a rent-to-own type honest, of place. I'll be honest, I passed a million. Which I've done, by the way, yeah. back in the day. If you don't <laughs> have any money, you have to rent the own. Yeah. I, I passed Not a, a good business, rent a centers and errands and yeah. all these places, yeah. and I— they, I mean, like, I guess you can, you know, credit my parents, but I, I passed a million. I never knew yeah. what they did. Oh, yeah. And to find out what they do, you know, yeah. sort of predatory, <laughs> predatory yes. renting, yeah, lending, if you want to call it that. Predatory like, renting. Yeah. Place, it right? is, basically. It's, it's what yeah. our, it's a businesses in our neighborhoods often mm-hmm. are sort of like uh, uh, immediate satisfaction businesses. Mm-hmm. But they're not like the long-term investment where you need to make smart, smart choices. But here's the thing about Rent-A-Center that we, that works for our show is that it just allowed us to use the entire city of Chicago as the set. And so Diallo mm-hmm. and I, we mentioned we love The Simpsons so many times. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to, to again, since we couldn't do Atlanta, that was taken from us. We were going mm-hmm. to do my hometown. And we really wanted to turn the city into the city of Springfield, where you would have jokes and things coming from every direction. But also, on top of that, we spent so much time working on the narrative of the shows and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. We really, we never went forward with even the characterizations or even like the set pieces until we had a core story that we loved. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, as many writers know, when you start telling the core story, it does adjust and it does change mm-hmm. over Absolutely. time. You know, we thought, for example, we thought this was a story about, one of my favorite episodes is episode eight. It's about a missing girl. We thought the story was about paranoia inside of the Renaissance Center, and mm-hmm. it turned out the better story that emerged was a story about one of our characters trying to write a song for the girl. Mm-hmm. And then by trying mm-hmm. to write that song for that girl, it ends up putting her on a collision course with her father from whom she is estranged. Mm-hmm. That all felt grounded and good to us. Now we can hang our crazy jokes and our weird <laughs> moments. Now, we, And by the way, even though you have something like that that feels poignant, it still gets to be super funny. It still gets to be light and fast right. moving. And we never lose the narrative thread. We never wrote a scene that didn't feel like it was important to the plot or more importantly, important to the story. And I'm, we made sure that all the writers knew what is the central, basic, one-sentence story we're telling with this episode. <laughs> Every scene needs to support that. And so, Absolutely. Even though I've, I've often felt criticized. Listen to that, yeah. writers. I say yeah. this over and over. Yeah, and I've often felt criticized <laughs> on the work because I feel like because it's so funny, I've had people say to us, it just almost feels like sketch. And I'm like, you know what? I, I take that as a compliment, but if you look, it's this, it's it is not. It yes, is not it's, sketch. It's really it not. is a story. Like there's, there's, there are going to be scenes where like, there's a game, there's, yeah. game of the scene. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think, uh, and I'll, I'll say, especially to Bashir's credit, he'd never let the story uh, suffer because we wanted to just do something. We ne- yeah, well, I would almost to- say Southside has tons of rules. Yes. And then luckily for us, Sherman's is the opposite. <laughs> yeah, no which rules. is the joy of it. But Actually, it does have rules. Well, I mean, look, but- it has tons of rules, but yeah. I'm saying it, it ultimately there's you can do stuff on Sherman's you could never do on No, of course, and I think that's why different we were able to launch two— sh- Yeah, it's a different type of anarchy. Yeah. An- anarchy. I will say, own. though, that yeah. my favorite scene in episode eight is uh, the scene where Nefertari sort of drills down on the paranoia inside the RTL. Yeah, that's pretty uh-huh. great. When she, like, calls the police because a random white guy comes to the store, yeah. and she's convinced he's the— Killer. He's yeah. the killer. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I can't ruin it. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to sure. try, but, like, you know, they're just— there's some jokes on Southside that because you know the characters so well, like I, I I couldn't watch them when we were in the editing bay without mm-hmm. like almost like crying with laughter. Oh, that's but, and here's and let me just really, and the cops are happily corruptible. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is one is yeah, not. one of them. Is, we, I really want to be clear that's that true. it's really one who is. Yeah, but she's the irony is that she's a better police officer. She's right. somebody who could yeah. come upon she somebody. She's community police. She's from there. She yeah. knows how to talk to somebody exactly. who's selling tapes and not choke them to death. Right. Right. The other guy does not. Yeah. I'm not trying to go dark, but that's the truth of it. The truth of it is, you got to have. He's working out. Issues. He's working. Well, he hates the South Side. You <laughs> yes. know, for me, the character that I play, I'll say two quick things. The character that I play is really uh, DNA wise similar to Uncle Ruckus on the Boondocks, and uh-huh. then Uncle Ruckus hates black people, yeah. which is Huey's main fight is for black rights, right? Right. 
on our show, my guy hates the South Side. Yeah. And he is he is the news story that you see about the South Side where you go, that shit looks dangerous. People live there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's who he is. He is the running commentary of negativity. The other cop is the opposite. She's from there. She knows it's a little grimy, a little greasy, but she gets it. She loves it. Those are her fucking people. Right. She's ride or die. And I think I'm so, I'm so heartened that that character has taken. So many critics have singled out Chandra Russell, who plays that character. She's great. Because she's mm-hmm. she killed it. And because people have never expected that, particularly from a character, particularly from a woman character who's a cop like that. They just have never seen somebody who, who lives like that. I have and, four sisters, and that's easily their favorite character on yeah. the show. Well, and your cast is so good, too, because it's all—I believe all those people, you know? Yeah. Well, you, most of you, them you are not do, actors. You can do, oh, is it, now is, <laughs> well, that's the whole point, right? Uh-huh. The point of Southside, the, the quick point uh-huh. is that what you see in the news about Chicago— it's a really small piece of a very large pie. I'm from there. It's a, it's a, it's not a it's perfect not Chirac, place. As it's not all shy right. Look, it, it's a, it's a great place that has bad moments. There'll be a great week of love and joy mm-hmm. and support, and then one bad thing will happen, and that's all people will talk about. And so for us, we were really trying to reorient the narrative mm-hmm. more toward what Chicago really is, which is a fun place. If you think Chicago, most people think of it as a fun place. They just think of the South Side, not. As that, so you know, you got the Cubs, you got Ferris Bueller, you got the movies right. of John Hughes, you Bill got Murray. Second City, Bill Murray, right. the Bears, hilarious. It's all right. fun, it's all good. And in the South Side, like nobody talks about it. And so we have a rich mm-hmm. comedy tradition too. We have particularly Black Chicago. You got Bernie mm-hmm. Mac, you got Robin Harris. That's right. You know, I was just as a quick That's tangent right. comedy guys. You know what's on uh, Amazon is they have Robin Harris's comedy art theater sketch shows. I, I, I did you ever go to one of those? Mm-hmm. I absolutely, did. dude. That shit is incredible to yeah. see everybody. Beginning, I just want to say, people out there who, if you're a comedy fan, please watch this Mm -hmm. because this is like, this is pre Robert Townsend Partners in Crime. This is like, holy shit, who are these people? And he was doing drag, he was doing everything. Yeah, and he would host the show and he'd do. He would do 30 minutes, and then you'd do five. <laughs> you <laughs> do 30 minutes do, of material? Just whatever, or just being funny, you know. And then wow. he'd do another 20 minutes, and then someone would come up and do five. <laughs> and then he'd do—I'm like, who is this guy? I remember watching him going, how can he do this? Because me, as a young comic, I'm like, all I have is five minutes. <laughs> like, you got 30 minutes? I can't fill this time, you know. But he talked to the audience, and he, he was finding stuff on stage. and Wow. You know, even when he was vamping, it was funny. Yeah. He'd go out into the audience. And he was just, unafraid. Just talk shit, you know, whatever. It was, a, I'm so happy I got to see him do that. I wish know? I had seen that live, yeah. man, because that is that is something special. I'm sorry, but the point I was just making mm-hmm. is that we want the city to redefine itself. And so yeah. the best way for us to do that is to have the city speak for itself. And so we just went to our funniest people. Like, mm-hmm. we often ask people, like, who's the funniest person you know personally? And they'll be like, oh, it's my auntie. She's hilarious. Right. Or my, right, cousin. my right, cousin's right. funny as hell. And so, and so on this outside, show, we would actually put that person in wow. front of the camera. The bus driver. Wow. Yeah, this there, is there, that there opportunity. Was a, there was last week. A, yeah. a real bus driver. Really? And he was making us laugh in between takes. So we were like, turn the cameras around. And we That's got some hilarious. of this stuff. And I, and I think one, mm. one, of the, one of the most powerful things about Southside is the fact that, yes, yeah, some of them aren't actors. And then a lot of them, you know, through the audition process, were local Chicago actors. So uh-huh. we didn't go to like... This person who's been on a Netflix show, this person from right. an HBO Correct. show. Like, I think by casting a lot of people who you don't know, mm-hmm. A, it makes it feel more authentic. But mm-hmm. also, B, you get to surprise the audience. They don't mm-hmm. know how this person's going to be funny or yeah. even if they're going to be funny. One of my like favorite, they, yeah. when, a, when a character comes on played by somebody you don't know, you have no expectations. Yeah. And then it's like, surprise, 
that person's funny in this way, that person's funny in that way. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that our audience can't come to our show and be like, oh, I have an opinion about this person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you don't. You don't even know. Well, I saw people. that guy stand up. I know what he's probably going to do. <laughs> but especially nowadays where right. people, people have preformed opinions a month before your show airs. Right. Like, Man, I don't like those guys. You know what I'm saying? So what we do is, is what's nice about what we <laughs> do is we kind of, I know, right? She's so hateful. Before We're trying to eliminate that. Airs, like, let everyone hope you and your shit show fails. I'm like, it hasn't even aired yet. Let it Me be a shit. Me and my shit show. Yeah, let it be a shit show first and then it can fail. <laughs> Jesus, God. I mean, come okay. on, y'all. The audience nowadays is, is more engaged than ever. Yeah. And I think it's definitely a challenge for people who make content to figure out how much they listen and how mm-hmm. much they try not to hear anything. Do you guys pay attention to any of that? I'm not on social media, but I absolutely mm-hmm. lurk my I'm ass on off. social media. I actually, I, <laughs> I enjoy I it because I, I see yeah. people, you know, posting, tweeting, you know, mm-hmm. lines that came out of our head. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing more exciting than when someone says their favorite line from Sherman's or says their favorite line from mm-hmm. Southside. It's like, man, I remember when we came up with that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, for me, it was so edifying when uh, Comedy great. Central put the Southside pilot on YouTube. on YouTube for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And not only did it get a lot of views, but just to – for me, I'm like, let's just see what people actually think. Because there's no mm-hmm. filter. There's no like – you know, and I love the critical praise, but let's be real. The streets talk different. And so to read comment after comment where they latched on the baby lines that we love yeah. and said, mm-hmm. my new favorite line is this line or that line. Um, <laughs> it felt so This shit good. funny. You know, I, I was like, I like that. <laughs> to me, that's like a real. But it's a surprise. <laughs> I would, say, you know, you said it before, Dial. But I think, you know, for anybody who who has a chance to see our work, I'm most proud of the fact that it is unabashedly funny and not so many great content creators nowadays will, in some ways, they kind of show you the the ability that they have to write something mm-hmm. really dramatic that then flows into something funny that then comes out of that and then something somber. They like to play with the tone. They play with mm-hmm. the tone. They play with the whether it's a dramedy or a comma or a drama. Mm-hmm. I think for us, what I'm really proud of is that we go, no, no, hard comedy. It's just the whole episode yeah. need to be, even if they're not funny, they're trying to be, or at least it's written in a way where we hope you laugh at it because that is something that I don't see a lot <laughs> now, of. I'm and a I, I want to be able to do that. I like reading the negative reviews, too. Well, I mean, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> of course, <laughs> by the way, we haven't got, both shows are 100% Rotten Tomatoes, so we haven't had to really nice. deal, we're very happy with yeah. it. Like, over 35 critics have weighed in on both shows, and... We're at hundred percent, but here's the thing that I like um, on Sherman's. We did this. Uh, we did a song. We did a song called "Drop It Low for Jesus." Yes. Oh, that was hilarious. And, <laughs> and let I me was say, sad that you that the guy stopped it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you should say the complete song is available on Mad Decent Records. That's right. Our album drop yeah, over the weekend. Our soundtrack yeah. came out at the end of last week. I yeah. just bring it up to say that like some of the negative uh, comments on yeah. on those posts were, were were pretty classic. Well, the sketch was correct. Yeah. No, it was yeah. true. Like it was correct. And by the way. It we, was going to be. Yeah, yeah. The, the sketch actually starts off the following is the most controversial performance in yeah. Sherman Showcase history, and it, and then life became that. So, But right. it's interesting, something you said, uh, even in this interview, that I, I continue to latch on to, which for me is special, which for me, I hope, informs everything I do, is like, I'm just so uninterested anymore of being told as a black writer or as a writer who happens to be black mm-hmm. what I can and can't write. Right. Like, we still want to write science fiction. I still want to write the great, like, the other right. one, the George Lucas. Oh, I know oh no, I, I say, like, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a black creator, uh, often executives to this day, even in this golden age of, of new black television, it's so-called they'll, they'll, they'll yeah, tell exactly. you. We've seen it before. <laughs> the Silver Age, uh, the yeah. Bronze Age, maybe. Um, they'll still Gilded tell you. Age. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. We have two shows in basic cable. Well, yeah, 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 shiny hub No, no Gilded Cage yeah, yeah. here. But exactly. they'll be like, uh, you know, we really want you to speak your truth. We want you to speak. Okay. So, like, one thing I always said, especially when we were pitching uh, Sherman's IFC, is like, your truth, like, 
No, but I, when I was a kid, I didn't watch Star Wars thinking, oh, this is George Lucas's truth about being a white man in space. Like, right. no, you just watch <laughs> yeah. it and you love the science fiction of it Maybe all. Maybe my truth is Jerry Curls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I think it's so important that, like, especially mm. as black creators, we don't always have to be steered towards, oh, did you live this? Like, yeah. we don't want right. to do poverty porn. You know, this like, we don't do... rules, man. All these stupid ass rules. Yeah. And it don't, yeah. it doesn't make the funnier or better. And it doesn't speak to the actual talent of that show creator. I mean, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing that Octavia Butler used to write her books in, like, the 80s and there's still no large contingent of African-American right. sci-fi mm-hmm. movies out yeah, there. Sure. I, I mean, there's a there's every blue moon there's one, mm-hmm. but it's not like, I think, the volume and clip that we're capable of. And I think there's so many writers who, you know, I think Terrence Stans is a good example of that who's pushing boundaries, but I think there are people who even want to go further and want to mm-hmm. do, like, I want to do sci-fi. You know, I mm-hmm. want to do a big Star Trek-y type movie. I want to do, because that's the, one of my favorite scenes in Boomerang is when Eddie Murphy's like, I'm a trekker and they just like, watch Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I think you just don't, Particularly when you deal with executives. Did he say Trekker or did he say Trekkie? He said Trekkie. Yeah. He said mm-hmm. Trekkie. Yeah, we know. We know. Uh, but okay. but uh, I do feel like you just don't get to do stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I even remember we always talk about watching uh, uh, the Cosby show in the uh, – a different world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is going to usher in a golden era. And then it was over. That was it. <laughs> there was nothing else. It's funny. It did then, for a while, though. Oh, did it, it did for it a did. while. Well, because you have to remember. Fam- you found Cosby- Family Matters, maybe? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Cosby started in 84? Early, yeah. Like 83, 84. 84. Yeah, super early, yeah. Pretty early, you know. So Different world was about 88 or somewhere around there, right? Something like that. Yeah. But there were some shows like... What was it? Amen, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Two two seven. Some for a while, but yeah, Family Matters was a big book. Remember, Fresh Prince was That's a show. True. That's but true. then you had shows like Martin, you know, and Living Color. Yeah, yeah. Arsenio. Well, I consider that a second, which were considered a later wave. Yeah, yeah. They were considered a more raw right. black show, and I remember, like, you know. I feel like when Martin first started, like, I feel like my father was not a fan. Like, yeah. it was yeah. just like, feels like we've taken a step back from the Cosby show. <laughs> my father loved Frank's Did Place. Did you learn anything yeah. from this man? My father loved Frank's Place, which yeah, was Frank sure. Reed's short-lived, but really remarkable show considering the right. time period it, it came out in. Yeah. Was that the one about D.C.? What's one about DC where he was like a black Republican or something like this? No, Frank's Place, that was by, what's his name, Hugh... Um, what did he have a? Like, it looked like Sesame Street. Like yeah, I feel like yeah, that yeah, set yeah. looked yeah. like. But yeah, Frank's place was very highly uh, critically acclaimed, but it didn't get didn't very, get the ratings. It didn't do too yeah. well. Yeah, but there were some shows out then. What happened was was um, a lot of black shows started getting pushed off onto the VPNs and the WBs exactly. and the CWs and all right. that. Right, I yeah. called it a, like they put it all in one night, which I yeah. I remember I even said this in the press. It's, it's like it's a nigger night now. Yeah. that's what they're calling <laughs> it. Wednesday night. Yeah, exactly. it's what they do in real life, right? They take all these black folks from different like properties in Chicago, yeah. that are lakefront but happen to be projects, and then mm-hmm. they get them now. All those projects are now condos, and all those people live in the same yeah, yeah. southern suburbs, which I would not recommend. I think you guys are coming up in a different era. I hope so. And like, if you even look at Shonda Grey's Anatomy, I, I'm is so another, blown away by her. By the way, she Grey's just, Anatomy is another genre busting, unexpected yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be from a black. No. creator that mm-hmm. show which it's was great. one and it's still on the air you know it's still she, one of know, the most amazing like ways to come out of the box she came out of the box with that that's you incredible know, when you think about it it wasn't scandal right no. <laughs> which would have been more expected yes correct yeah, yeah you know yeah I'm still uh, amazed at her tenacity and strength really yeah. is the word I want strength that she it's was able a to get and a white executives yeah. to sign yeah. off on a black woman running a, a white show right it sounds silly that that would be an issue I'm Promise you, somebody in, the, in those meetings yeah. was like, oh, "Are we sure about this?" Right? And Can somebody, we get Dick Wolf on I this? mean, is Dick Wolf available? <laughs> ah, she's never done it. I've always all tried to bullshit. be contrary in my 
of like the PJs was the first thing that I came and seen it. Totally. Nobody, I mean, it was stop motion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had a crackhead was one of our major characters. It's crazy. You know? It's like, you can't even do that today. No. Like some of those no. jokes. No, Black Twitter yeah. would be like, what in the hell? Yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I, I do exactly. feel like you and Shonda and Kenya, like there, there are certain people who sort of, I think, made it more palatable for these white executives to say, okay, to say, okay we're gonna, you can do it differently. Something we're gonna different. let you run the show. We're right. not gonna put like one of our one of our spies in the room. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, but I think <laughs> one of our spies. <laughs> they do that though. They, you, meet, you meet the spy. Yeah. They go, guys. Oh my God. They love it. They love you. They love everything. They want to. They want you to meet a couple writers they know who are just gonna be a part uh, of the show, kind of hang out and kind of help guide it. You guys are in charge. And then you meet these writers, and I got to tell you, my entire we, we don't have oh, any of those some truth guys. We don't have truth. any of those guys on either of our shows mm-hmm. because we really don't. You know, our success is really born it. from tons and tons of failure, lots of projects mm-hmm. where that happened. And for yeah. me, the thing that was most telling is when you meet with some of those guys. I mean, the energy they have is almost like, yeah, yeah. Tell me what you want to do, and I'm gonna. It's really they'll be like, tell me what you want to do. All right, I'm gonna go write your pilot. I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna get it together for you. Just what, what what's your and then you just tell me what you want, and I'll translate it for the network. And you give all this power away, and then you read it, and you go, this is not my voice. Exactly. These are not the stories I want to tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not how black people talk. I don't want my character named T-Dog. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Shout out T-Dog. T-Dog. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like there's, there's, there is that thing that I think many young uh, creators smartly are, are trying to push against, which is this idea that there's another voice that's going to come in and kind of write it for you Mm-mm. and get it right. And, and then I, I can see that. I read it, and I go, this does not sound— What's like, great right. is that um, you guys are performing, too. How do you like the, the, you know, where are you right now in terms of your career? I mean, you were on Marlon for a while. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, that was and I'm like, fun. is the LSC going down the traditional acting route? <laughs> That's is. what I was thinking, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm going to see him in movies and all this Hell stuff. Yeah. He's just going to say goodbye to Bashir. You know, yeah, yeah. Gonna gonna be the industry can't yeah. break us up yet. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, it seems like you guys really enjoy the performing part of it, too. We do. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. as important to you, I Look, guess, I think I think that that's been there from the beginning you know mm-hmm. like Bashir was entertaining his family I was entertaining mine like I feel like that sort of like innate ham yeah. you know that yeah, inner yeah, yeah, ham yeah. like that's kind of one of those things that has to be there from the beginning I agree yeah. and, I agree uh, and that, here's where I feel like we're lucky some days I wake up and I'm like I'm a writer today Yeah, yeah. It's nice. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get some great pages done and then other days you wake up you're like oh, I get to go Shoot, sit, sit in Silicon a room Valley and, yeah. or Glow, you know, yeah. or I get to shoot one of these shows today. Like, you yeah. know, it's it's nice never being, uh, getting into the rut of just doing the same thing. All Absolutely. The time. You get yeah. to mix it up and yeah. have so much fun doing but it. But we too. had to do that I mean, at the beginning of our career. We were literally writing, acting, and producing. Before we got to it's Fallon, a survival technically thing it was first, necessity. And now, it, and now yeah. it's the way that you're But you know what's is. funny? It yeah. actually helped us at Fallon because mm-hmm. what we didn't know then that we know now is that on shows like that, the writers produce their own bits. That's so right. you have to produce it, cast it. Props, costumes, uh, uh, you have to literally have a production I meeting. I think it's like that on SNL. Right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. That's what they got it like from. That's a, where you got it from. So what was lucky on, for on us show? is that— Did the, the, the writers like have to go out and, and produce for the, the nightly show? Oh, on the nightly yeah. show? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. We, did, we didn't have a lot of those types of You didn't of do a lot of sketches, I know, but like yeah. you still had to work with the. I guess in their case, mm-hmm. they would do more work with like an actual news producer. Or yeah, like or we would. Uh, it's so funny, you know. Daily Show was more of that than the Nightly Show mm-hmm. was actually, because yeah. just because of the nature of our show was right. more focused on on the discussion part of it. Yeah. But it's funny that I did a character on that that's a little similar in the world of Sherman Showcase. It was a Soul Daddy, and it was <laughs> the show that was trapped in the. It, this show was trapped in the seventies, and I just had clips from it that I would yeah. show, and I was always making these ridiculous. Uh, Predictions, <laughs> all these predictions, <laughs> but my but that character was based, you know, I had this afro and everything. I would show you, but it was all based on. 
Tom Snyder, a picture of Tom Snyder's oh, no pose. And I created the character based on this picture of Tom Snyder, where he has the cigarette. And I thought, that is such a 70s amazing pose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this Tom Snyder pose. And I based the whole character on a pose with a cigarette. I love yeah. the 70s. I, I always, we always talk about this. Like, I just mm-hmm. feel like that was such a special time. Yeah. Uh, I was born halfway through it. But also, I just feel like it was the first time post-civil rights where black people were, were sort of aggressively creating new identities and new forms mm-hmm. of art. Right. And really, so many new things that came out of that. And also, I feel like it was a time of almost like lawlessness in Hollywood. Where you mm. watch movies in the 70s, you're like, I think that motherfucker died, man. Is that, <laughs> is that extra alive? Like, I saw him fall in that water. I didn't see him come up in the camera. That had car chase. Car chase seems too real. Yeah. Like, like, they didn't actually get permits and that woman pushing that baby Plus, car. Plus, you hear stories on sets in the 70s. By the way, like, that's still an amazing film, yeah. French Connection. It oh, my God. It's amazing. It but you know real, that yeah. that woman pushing the baby. <laughs> yeah. Was not in on the shoot. Dude, <laughs> there's a certain fun lawlessness, yeah. and I think that vibe is what I like the most. I mean, Sherman's is, is born from the 70s. It's not a 70s show, but sure. what I like about it is that, that there's that lawlessness. and Because I feel like nowadays also everything is so, everybody's so careful. Yeah, People are careful about everything, and it's nice to be in something where you can kind of be a little punk about it and just say, hey, man, this guy's yeah. just, he's out of control. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody might get hurt, and that feels, like, interesting. Well, it seems like you guys have a lot of freedom to do whatever you want on two shows now, which is kind of nice. You know, the nice thing about Basic Cable is that they, if you find the right place, they give you a lot of freedom. They do not give you a lot of money. Yeah. There's the rub. I'm going to say to our our costume designer (laughs) at Sherman Showcase, I want to say Ariella Wald Uh is a— Damn. She's on both. She's a That's she's a saint and a genius. Yeah, because I don't know how she got all them clothes for Sherman with the budget they gave her. Yeah, it, right. it, is, it is remarkable to me that she pulled that off and she yeah. killed it. Not just even Sherman's. She outfits, outside but like, too. Yeah. Think about like the, we did a song with Neo called Time Loop and she like had the, she had the suit those they had the costumes. costumes yeah. They made were those. like pretty much made from scratch. Yeah. So yeah. there's you know, a group she called made Miracle Seven. There's a group called Sky that was. Uh, like, I remember Sky. Remember it's the late seventies. Yeah. And uh, that's what Time Loop reminded me yeah. of. Like oh, nice. That, that that's kind really of vibe, cool. You know? Yeah. I love their um, song. What is it? Um, I'm moving on. Um, Ain't no need. I'm moving yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's a lot of these groups have been lost, you mm-hmm. know, like um, because they weren't like on the popular charts. They mm-hmm. were in this category of kind of disco, but it was like in the beginning of hip hop. And mm-hmm. a lot of DJs at the time were using some of the beats and yeah. things from some of these groups. Like, mm. um, uh, there was this one. There was this one called uh, what was his name? But he had a song called "Super Sperm" was the name of it. And it was, oh yeah. Uh, what was his um, name? Uh, that's not uh, Doctor Somebody. Uh, it's not Doctor Buzzard. No, no, no. Um, you know what? I, I but probably but it had this beat. It would go super. Spoon. Which which, uh, uh, which uh, Redman uh, uh, then uh, sampled? Yeah, and uh, Redman used it on uh, Superman Lover. Yeah, and it had this that's amazing beat though. The the beat to it was ridiculous at the time, and it's like, Super who is this? And you just had, to, and it would just repeat that. It would go back, and you go zoop 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 zoop. Thanks. Captain Sky. That's Captain what it was. Sky. Captain Sky. Is it called Super Sperm? See, it's actually called yes. Super Sporm, but Sporm. He but, put Sporm, yeah. so you get. So we know what he was saying. Yeah, we know what he's talking. But Captain Sky, like that's a name from the early '80s. This yeah. is in the Sherman Showcase um, wheelhouse. Yeah, right wheelhouse. Are you pitching this? You want to come on and play Captain Sky? This is what I tell you. This is how I relate to your show. I'm telling you. 
This, that, we have a character. By the way, we would season. gladly have you on the show to play. Oh, yeah, man. I would love to play Captain, Captain Sky. Sky. Yeah, I think that's done. Done. Like done. a done deal, personally. Done. Why <laughs> overthink the shit? Are you guys uh, planning uh, possible second seasons for these? We won't both. We, ha- we haven't heard from either network yet. Uh-huh. We're uh, we're going to be hopefully uh, here hopefully soon. Here yeah. soon yeah. But yeah. the numbers have been great. We're really happy. Great. Good, and, good, and good, both good. shows have People gone up each week. Yeah, good, good. Kind of unheard of. Yeah, it makes me nervous because it's like, what happens the first week? And they're both in their in their runs right now. They just started. One is right now. They both aired episode three. We we pitched them at different times. Times. Yeah. We kind of developed them at different times, and then they both came out within a week of each <laughs> other, yeah. both on Wednesday nights. <laughs> so here, oh my god, that that's that's not, crazy! It's not a dilemma. We're, we're excited. Oh, it's about a good it. problem. We we have Wednesday nights, so uh, Sherman Showcase comes on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Yeah. on IFC, and then Southside comes on Comedy Central at 10:30. So Shonda had Thursday nights in <laughs> Wednesday nights but is sure in Diablo. Yeah, sure Wednesday, Wednesday night, night, man. Guys. Come hang Wild out with Wednesday night. Come hang out Wednesdays. Southside on Comedy Central. Sherman Showcase and IFC. IFC, they're both hilarious. They have achieved exactly what they wanted to do, make something undeniably funny. Thank you. Thank you, dude. And congratulations, guys. I can't wait for more seasons and for your sci-fi stuff, too. And I'm, I'm not even coming. kidding about that. That's absolutely No, I know happening. you're not. Yeah. I can't wait. I want to do that stuff. Awesome. Bashir and Diallo, check it out. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you.